0: Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO
1: USA's Private Equity Practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization.
0: My name is Todd Kinney. I'm a director in BDO's Private Equity Practice. Joining me today at BDO's Park Avenue offices in New York City is John Castle. Managing Partner of New York City based middle market private equity firm Branford Castle Partners. John, thank you for joining me today. Thank
1: you very much for having me, Todd. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, uh, we've had a long time relationship with BDO. BDO's has done a lot of great things uh, with our, our fund and and our portfolio companies and it's always great to spend time with you.
0: We certainly appreciate and value the, uh, the relationship with Branford Castle. So thanks again. Uh, John, as you know, we're here today to discuss private equity investing uh, in the manufacturing and distribution industry. Given that your firm invests in this industry, obviously, among others, how would you describe the overall deal environment?
1: Well, I think the old saying is, uh, may you live in interesting times. And I think it's fair to say we live in interesting times. Uh, I think those who are deeply involved in the deal market these days know that uh, valuation is quite an issue. Uh, The other day, somebody said... uh, If you're buying a business, 10 times is the new seven times. And uh, that statement, I I think, is absolutely right. There has been a significant uh, escalation in valuations uh, recently. Um, and I think it's got some people off guard. Uh, although I must, I have to take a step back. Brantford Castle is a lower middle market investor, and uh, we typically we focus on companies with about two to fifteen million dollars in EBITDA. At that. Uh, size range of company uh, while there are plenty of industries that we would find those heightened valuation levels there are plenty of other industries for companies that size where you can still find great value and that's uh, that is our approach to investment we do we, we still like to find companies that are, are, are where, there's a, where there's a value component to it. Beyond valuation, of course, as everybody knows, we have a new administration. Uh, and they by themselves keep things quite interesting. But if I were to speak to a few of the issues that make for a more difficult deal environment or a better deal environment, depending on your uh, investing perspective, uh, of course, the administration has tried to tackle some very large issues Uh, in very material ways, which create significant amounts of uncertainty, Uh, uh, overhauling Obamacare in the healthcare sector, Uh, 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 focusing on international trade and rewriting our trade deals, Um, overhauling and rewriting our tax code are major issues for many different types of companies. And if you are the type of investor that relies on certainty to the investments that you're looking to make, you have to factor those into your equation. And you may uh, you may decide not to move forward in certain companies that are affected by those uh, by those uh, initiatives. On the flip side, there are many speculators out there who think that they will have a proprietary view of how all of those will play out and uh, in those respects you'd expect uh, there to be uh, certain investors to uh, to uh, enjoy and or uh, you know love a period like this where there's a lot going on.
0: Well well said John the future of the industry looks interesting for sure especially considering new technologies being developed such as driverless technology. While it's still in its early stages, how do you think private equity investors and their portfolio companies can prepare, can prepare for and adapt to this new technology?
1: Well, well, first of all, I look, there have been people in the technology world that have been working on driverless cars forever, but for those of us who aren't involved in that world, Uh, I I have found the rise of driverless cars to be somewhat surprising. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think things like driverless cars were ever part of the science fiction future. Uh, If you think back to those science fiction movies like Star Wars or Star Trek or even shows like the Jetsons, they contemplated – Uh, You know, space pods or or things, uh, you know, cars or some derivation that flew. But there was always somebody in the cockpit, so to speak. Uh, Driverless cars, I don't think I've ever seen a program, a movie or a television show that ever had that element to it. So for some of us, I think that this, you know, as I said earlier, this has somewhat come out of nowhere. And this is not something that I think a lot of us sort of thought would happen in the future. But here we are. Um, just to be smart on the issue, I have uh, taken rides in a couple of Teslas that have semi-autonomous features to them. And you can actually do that here in the New York area if you want to. And I have found the experience to be uh, quite interesting, uh, quite eye-opening. I think if the technology industry can figure out all of the uh, uh, all of the you know the kinks in the technology. I think it could be quite interesting for uh, for consumers and for users to adopt the technology, but I do think that they have a long way to go to make things fully autonomous. And in fact, I think my view, current view of the future, uh, would be that it it would take a very long time for consumers to adapt to a purely autonomous world. I think that. Uh, for the next few decades at least, uh, most of these cars will likely have a dual option where a driver can flip it into driverless mode when they want to and then flip it back into uh, a, a mode where they get to take the wheel. And I think that there's a lot of applications for when they would um, would want to do that. Uh, but look, as a private equity investor, you have to at least nod that this is coming down the pipe. You have to position yourself to acknowledge a potential future uh, reality. But as of right now, I, I don't think that, from what I've seen, I don't think people have to be too alarmed by uh, by the, the, the driverless future. We do think there's a long, long tail to people being behind the wheel.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Well, given that there's so much competition out there vying for assets, assets in this high valuation environment, what can private equity firms do to differentiate themselves?
1: Well, look. I, in in Branford's case, we have a very long track record. Uh, if you take the number of deals that are our, are uh, our, our professional, your professionals have been involved in. You know, we've completed hundreds of of uh, transactions um, in a wide range of industries. So we think of ourselves as being a very reliable partner. In addition to that, we love to work with managers uh, uh, post transaction. Uh, Two of our last three, our uh, portfolio company CEOs have made between 30 to 45 times our rollover, their rollover invested capital. Someone once joked uh, that we should want to sell the business to ourselves so we can get that sort of upside. Um, But from our standpoint, we try to champion our professionalism, our longevity, the number of deals we've closed. And- uh, the fact that we work well with uh, teams moving forward. That having been said in a high valuation environment, um, you know you have a few uh, 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 things that you can consider in terms of your approaches. Well, number one, you can pay a higher price for the businesses and uh, do the best you can to improve the company in, in various ways and maybe you'll eke out a return. Uh, num- number. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, some people may decide to sit on the sidelines during this period. And I think that that is a perfectly reasonable approach. And then the third thing, uh, the approach that uh, we've uh, decided to take is to continue to uh, uh, look for new and innovative investment hypotheses in places where uh, the crowd is not headed. And, um, uh, we've spent a good deal of this year thinking through those types of new hypotheses and, and we have a, a, a number of them and, uh, uh, we're, uh, we've got a, uh, at least in at, at this early stage, a, a number of businesses that we're looking at quite closely that fit those new hypotheses.
0: Very good. Well, I think the, uh, the BDO family knows, uh, knows and, uh, highly respects the, uh, Branford Castle, uh, brand, but, uh, what, what would you say separates uh, your firm from the crowd?
1: Some of the things that I, I, I may have mentioned, you know we uh, you know in the lower middle market, there's a number of investors that have gotten into the market recently. Uh, again, we've been here for 30, 30 years. Uh, in addition to our activities, uh, Branford Castle is somewhat loosely affiliated with a larger market buyout firm by the name of Castle Harlan. They've also been around for 30 years. When you combine the expertise for those two organizations, you're really talking about a lower mid-market and mid-market powerhouse in terms of the best practices that it can bring to the businesses that it invests in.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for your insights today, John. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Our listeners can find more information about BDO's private equity practice at BDO.com.
1: Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Perspectives Podcast. For more information on how BDO supports private equity sponsors, funds, and their portfolio companies with a full spectrum of accounting, tax, and advisory services, please visit us at BDO.com. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you visit iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of Private Equity Perspectives.